0: Exciting, Terry. How are you doing today?
1: I am wonderful today. It's such a beautiful day in Northern California. We're gonna hit about 80 degrees, and nice. uh, yeah, just nice. enjoying the, the wonderful fall weather.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's actually nice here in Brooklyn today, too. It was really, you know, we got hit with what was left of Hurricane Delta, oh, yeah, uh, last couple days, but it's actually, you know, it's supposed to get a high of around 70 and it's sunny, uh, you know, a little bit of fall fo- foliage, uh, you know, kicking in. Uh, so, so all good. Uh, cool. So Kristen, uh, Kristen will be joining us a little bit later on as our guest, uh, Kristen Slack from Prof to Prof. She's sorting out her audio, which is, uh, great. Uh, but to start, we're gonna kick it a little bit about what's new and, uh, emerging in higher ed. And this is a weekly show because it's chock full of news in higher ed every week. Uh, you know, so, uh, so Terry, I think uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, some of the the fiscal challenges that a lot of uh, colleges, you know, uh, I know you're very passionate about small uh, private liberal arts colleges in particular, uh, but they are feeling the crunch uh, in a lot of different ways, and we are starting to see the impact of some of those uh, budgetary challenges. So I think we wanted to kick off with with that topic because I know that's a that's one that's near and dear to your car your heart. So uh, any perspective on that?
1: Absolutely, because you know, as you know, I, I've been talking about this since the spring, that you know what we need to see in higher ed for small private liberal arts colleges is some kind of consolidation. We don't want these campuses to close. The last thing mm-hmm. we want is for these campuses to close, because they have such a, an impact, not just for the students and the faculty, but for the communities that are connected to them. Mm-hmm. And so there was a story this week I saw, um, I posted the link in, in the chat there, and um you know this uh campus is getting a four million dollar you know bump or savings from you know all these cuts that they're doing and you know the reality is it's that's probably just a drop in the bucket um
0: unfortunately Um, they're cutting they're cutting faculty right it's the actually
1: they're they're not cutting faculty they're cutting programs and then they're they're allowing faculty to retire early and also uh one or two cuts, but it's a focus on, you know, program cuts. So they're merging some, some different programs and so Mm -hmm. on. And you know what, in my experience, um, you know, that's just the beginning. (laughs) I mean, they Mm -hmm. spent an entire year actually looking at their academic programs to figure out where they could cut. And that's that's the the smart move. Absolutely. Everybody should mm-hmm. be doing that, especially small private liberal arts colleges or SPLACs as. I yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> but um, the other component is, you know, where do you find other cost savings that aren't going to impact the quality of the education you're giving? And I keep hammering this point that we need to be student centered that we need to focus on the academics that and but then find you know, ways to save money because you know consolidation is going to happen whether we mm-hmm. do it the right way or not and these campuses are going to see more and more that um they're 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 just not going to be able to keep up the the as debt increases as they you know have so in any case my argument and Please reach out if you're <laughs> thinking about this. Is to take a broader perspective to look at ways you can join with other um, mm-hmm. campuses, um, find ways to develop alliances, whether it's through online teaching, um, you know, sharing programs, um, sharing different components of kind of the, what we call the back end. of This yeah. like shared um, services or yeah yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. shared services, things like that. Shared software. Um, mm-hmm. You know, right. there's so many different ways that campuses can, you know, impact the bottom line in a much more impactful way than what they're doing now. You know, my mm-hmm. colleague Gary Stalker and I have been writing about this in LinkedIn. Um mm-hmm. and so uh you know, it, it's just something obviously I'm very passionate about Yeah, passionate about, but also um, you know, I think it's it's critical to the future of a lot of these institutions
0: yeah and i think the language of consolidation might scare people but i think the way i've heard you talk about it, it's also like coalition building it's forming consortiums or alliances right. or right. there's a lot of different ways to, to kind of, of
1: doing mergers right mm-hmm. I mean, right especially for institutions that are close to each other regionally i mean mergers are you know also another you know important option to consider
0: right right but, but it's a way know, to Attack your expense base, and rather than go after the places where you have some sort of programmatic, academic differentiation, instead go after the stuff that is more that 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 benefits from the economies of scale of finding partner organizations. And how how does that happen? Have you seen that happen successfully uh, thus far? How do folks find? How do, is there a matchmaker uh, who can help find? get small private uh, liberal arts colleges connected to one another is that, yeah, that's sort well, of they're what they're you're ahead. trying to do yeah
1: mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to do at brighter higher ed yeah. the center for higher education leadership yeah um, yeah that's exactly what we're trying to do is to help mm-hmm. that matchmaking process but you know that it, it can be a variety of ways you know there's some uh, institutions that already belong to consortia for different things um, <clears throat> excuse me and um, th- there's also just the the regional perspective but um, you know, sometimes it, it makes a difference because we have a lot of religious colleges that belong to particular denominations and mm-hmm. those that might be easier to to make connections with. But in general, it doesn't really matter. It just matters that you have the will to do it. Yeah. Um, and right. we're happy to, to you know, Gary Stalker has his uh, college viability app and we've been looking closely at, you know, what institutions you know, would make sense to join to mm-hmm. together. You know, where yeah. are the, the weak spots and, you know, where are places where you can, you know, find cl- you know, opportunities to collaborate? And like I said, you know, it's not just necessarily something that has to be, you know, just online or, or any, you know, it's any component of those things can be pulled together in a way that um, allows you to, to basically cut costs.
0: Right, right, right. And there's some exam there's some models out there that have had some success in the past, but you're really looking for uh what, what I guess would be like early early adopters uh yeah, now. Well, but if-
1: yeah, and, and sorry, I missed that part of the question because <laughs> responding, but um yeah, there are plenty of examples out there. Um mm-hmm. so everything from you know, if you look at the Claremont colleges, I mean they did this many, many years ago. <laughs> um mm-hmm. and then, uh I mean, you know, even you know, Claudium basically a you know, Barnard College in Columbia. I mean you sure. can think of different mm-hmm. you know, institutions that work closely together. Right, and, right. Um, you know so it's not necessarily um you know just it's not necessarily new. And um, mm-hmm. I've seen other collaborations develop around um, admissions. Um, yep. And certainly there are institutions that are collaborating collaborating around online learning. Um yes. and then you have the mega schools, you know like Southern New Hampshire University um mm-hmm. you know, University of Arizona, or sorry, Arizona State is growing. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Western Governors, I mean, mm-hmm, you know, they've mm-hmm. found different ways to, and, um, you know, National University has gobbled up um, a bunch of uh, smaller privates. Um,
0: yeah. There. Yeah. And that's, which is, which can be a shame too. So uh, this is sort of a call uh, to, to action for folks. If you're trying to preserve what's unique and special about that experience, uh, many of us went to small Liberal arts colleges, and I, I think many of us have strong uh, memories of what's unique about that and what's special about that, and we don't want to see that go away. And uh, in many cases, part of what's special about it is also the connection between the uh, the college and the the community in which uh, it it exists. And uh, you know that leads us a bit to the conversation we wanted to have around COVID and. Um, how uh, you know you shared an article that I thought was really interesting from the LA Times. Uh, I, th- I think we saw similar articles posted about uh, the challenge uh, beyond just closing your campus or limiting uh, the number of students who are on your campus because so many students uh, will still go to uh, the town or city where their university or college is, and if they can't. Stay in the dorms. They're going to move into the surrounding neighborhoods. Uh, particularly, you know, upperclassmen or graduate students may not really be looking for dorm life. I thought that was a real eye opener. And then uh, the the relationship between that and COVID rates and uh, perception of undergraduates and college life within those communities. I thought were real. Uh, interesting uh topics for us to explore uh, any perspective from you on on that
1: yeah absolutely the interesting thing is I was hearing about this before that article came mm-hmm. out <clears throat> you know I was um talking yeah you know, lots of friends I'm at the age where you know my son is at college I have lots of friends whose sons are and daughters are at college mm-hmm. and um you know I think the uh, interesting thing to me was that you know like I, I was hearing from friends who um you know, their kids were going, yeah, I was kind of surprised because, you know, their campuses were closed like the Mm -hmm. Cal States, but they were going and living off campus to do the online learning. And so, um, and then I was hearing about, you know, a friend was telling me you know, they had a, a, a student down at USC, but students were moving into the apartments near campus and then they were having COVID outbreaks in those, those yeah. apartments. Right. And then the same thing at Chico State and, you know, San Diego State. And so mm-hmm. it's something I hadn't thought about at all that, you know, these students would be going, living off campus and um, still, you know, connecting with each other, having parties, et cetera. Right. Um, And so it's, uh, you know, and then we've seen these, um, there's been a couple of studies that have looked at the increase in COVID in areas where college students are and the numbers have risen, of course. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so there's this interesting dynamic going on where, you know and i think for administ- campus administrators it's just you know something they can't really control very well
0: right because, right
1: because you know you, you know the students you know they got a lease. you know i remember when i was at ut austin you know the nearby apartment complexes which start advertising for students to you know sign a lease you know uh, six months before the yeah. start of you know the next school year sure and so you have these situations where students have gone you know back in january they were probably right. getting their leases for the fall semester and totally they can't get out of them a lot of right. times or they yeah. just want to be yeah. you know closer to friends and so not, on. not so, not to
0: mention their parents have probably converted their bedroom <laughs> into yeah into something else, perhaps, you know, like, like there was an expectation that the fall was going to be very different for, for families. And it was interesting. It did make me think about, um, how much the undergraduate experience is more than just, uh, the academic experience. And it's more than just on campus dorm life. There is the sort of surrounding ecosystem, uh, of like the college town, which, uh, which I think is a great part of American culture. And it's, it was already at risk around some of the financial concerns that you were talking about. You know, small town college, uh, you know, private college in a small town may not have had the best uh, financial situation already, and now you add to that this, uh, and then you add to that the the fact that uh, it may it may increase some of the um, the fear and resentment of campus life uh, from yeah. people who live in the town. Um, you know, so. It was really eye-opening uh, for me, and uh, and it was also eye-opening. I just was checking on the New York Times. Uh, they have a separate tracker of COVID at US colleges and universities, and across fourteen over 1,400 colleges, they're now counting the number of uh, COVID cases at 178,000. So, right. um, and I, there was an increase, I think in the LA Times article you shared as well, uh, Terry, I think it was, there's been a 55% increase in uh, COVID cases among like 18 to 22 year olds since, uh, since like the late spring, you know. So, in particular, now that everyone's coming back to campus, it is a place where people would be kids, would you know, undergrads would be mixing it up. Uh, that's still happening to a large extent, and that is leading to uh, further spread of the of the virus uh you know we do you know in our sports minute uh you know college sports minute
1: uh <laughs> you go. know uh
0: gainesville florida you know university of florida was was back in the news too in terms of uh you know their 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 head coach was uh was saying that they wanted to see uh 90, people in the swamp the their uh, their football uh, <laughs> stadium there uh and then within a week of him making that statement uh, the, the football program was suspended due to, uh, due to COVID. So, um, any prospect, broader perspective just on, on COVID, especially, you know, maybe taking, wearing your former, uh, administrator, uh, hat. Yeah. Like any, any thoughts on how you, maybe just words of courage for folks who are struggling with this? <laughs> or, uh, well, you know. yes, you know, here's some, you know, buck up.
1: It's yeah, time yeah. To, Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, we're hitting a time. So the good news, and we talked about this last week as well, you know, enrollments don't seem to be declining as much as people expected. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think that from a, a provost perspective, I would really be, you know, taking the time to review my academic programs. Um, you know, and I strongly encourage those who may be new at the job to check out our the courses we offer because I think this is a, a really critical time for strategic planning. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're, we've been kind of very, you know, it's, it's, we'd be good to be more, um, uh, proactive versus reactive. And obviously you can't help but yeah. be reactive in this situation, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, I'm wondering how many campuses and I'm sure they are doing this. I mean, I, I know every campus has a task force They're they're thinking yeah. about all the different aspects, but, um. You know, one thing we haven't really been good at in higher ed more generally is strategic planning um, mm-hmm. for the long term. And, you know, one of the problems is there's turnover in administrative positions. Um, I was just talking to somebody, the average for a dean or a provost is just three or four years. Yeah. And wow. that's not long enough to really implement, you know, a strong, yeah. the strategic, uh,
0: strategic, plan strategic plan is longer than that, that typically. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, there's a comment from from Tarantino, you know, the public relations program, making sure you know faculty and people in sports are, are talking the same line. And yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's been interesting. You know, one of the things I, I've noticed, and you know, we're starting to see fuller stadiums, mm-hmm. um, but also in some of those states where you're seeing fuller stadiums, you're also seeing upticks in yep. um, COVID, Florida and Texas, come to mind. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh it's really important that people push that safety message. Um yeah. so that's the other yeah. thing I want to focus on.
0: Yeah, and I would and the other uh the other thing that I, that we're gonna spend more time with with Kristen on, uh, which I do think relates is also just adding the the adject, adjective, adjectival phrase trauma informed, uh, in front of everything that that we're doing nowadays. So like, you know, almost trauma informed, uh Administration, trauma-informed uh, strategic planning—like, understand that administrators are struggling with this stuff too. Like, just because you're you've sort of bumped up from uh, from being rank and file faculty doesn't mean you're not struggling with many of the challenges that we're all struggling with today. And I thought that medium uh, article that you shared—you uh, shared it on LinkedIn—and I think we're going to share the article also in the in the chat. Um, was was really powerful whereas you know the the personal story of of a, a higher ed uh, professor who lost her father to covid while she was struggling to shift to online and manage all the complexity of that uh i thought that was um a really powerful piece and um louisa McKenzie, right is the is the name of yeah. the 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 post the the person who posted that yeah, on uh and- yeah. 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 yeah so,
1: post, yeah, I was just going to say, I posted it on LinkedIn and it got, uh, I mean, it just kind of took off in terms yeah. of news and, and people commenting. And, you know, I'm also seeing this. As I've mentioned before, I'm on a couple of uh, Facebook groups, uh, you know, on uh, pandemic pedagogy and higher ed, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook groups where, you know, faculty come and talk about their frustrations. I was just looking at it this morning and you know faculty are starting to feel some burnout and, mm-hmm. and partly and, you know, and it's interesting because I think there's some parallels because I've been you know obviously watching my son who's in high school and I think there's some parallels between K through 12 and higher ed and part of it has to do with the fact that I think people went in with certain expectations about you know what students could do in this environment mm-hmm. and I'm certainly seeing, you know, a lot of the teachers in my son's high school kind of stepping it back and saying, oh, you know, maybe student, this is too much for students to do, you know, expecting them to do three hours of homework a day, you know, mm-hmm. like they used right. to do. Um, and the same, I'm seeing the same thing in higher ed where faculty, you know, there's certain requirements of, you know, amount of homework they're expecting you to do and yep. so on and faculty are, you know, but the problem is faculty are spending all their time grading. Right. Um, You know, especially if they don't have TAs or graders or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a situation happening where um, you have faculty kind of just having to, you know, it's almost like the toggle courses and, you know, just uh, Brian Alexander talks about toggle term. Um, Faculty are having to toggle their courses a bit and say, okay, you know, I can't expect this much, not only of my students, but of myself.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, I when working with some of the, the faculty over at my son's high school and they're just, you know, they've got their kids at home. You know, a lot of them have young kids at home that they're trying to work with. Um, you know, they have, maybe may have older family members, like in this article, they, you know, they're yeah. having to to figure out online, you know, mm-hmm. teaching and, and how that's going to work and having to adjust, you know, because even that process of adjustment is stressful. Um, yeah 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 and and so uh yeah i it's it's so yes trauma informed um everything yeah everything is that uh, people are experiencing traumas, and you know, a very sad story I saw um, about a, a school administrator in um, Arkansas who, who, a superintendent of schools, who passed away. And, and mm-hmm. you know, there've been stories of teachers who passed away, and, and so yeah. I mean, we've been lucky. I haven't experienced any of that directly, but mm-hmm. um, you know, there is a lot of trauma out there, and it's going in yeah. different directions.
0: And and I think the the added Aspect of that article that that struck me is the idea that online teaching in 2020 is emotional work. You, you know, you're and then a lot of the research I've seen. Uh, I remember this good Harvard Business Review article about this about burnout and how frequently burnout uh, most directly affects the people who are best at collaborating. So, like, basically, if a if a professor is really good at being emotionally present and providing the the kind of supports to her students that they desperately need, more and more students are going to seek that out. They're going to find th- that person. And uh, in some cases, the givers are the ones who are most at risk of burnout and are the most in need of, of supports. So, uh, so, you know, it's the idea of like self care, you know, which is a massive trend that uh, that everyone's been talking about these days. Um, trying to find ways to give um, everybody that space to take care of themselves because it is a it's a very challenging year on on multiple multiple fronts. Um, do we yeah, want? Yeah, please. I, was, I was
1: gonna say one more thing before we bring Kristen in, because yeah. Kristen focuses on helping faculty connect and and share research and so on. The the other component that's been a big topic of conversation amongst faculty is how to manage the situation around research. I mean, because there's, we've talked about this before. Women Mm -hmm. are being more negatively impacted by the lack of research productivity during this year than than many others. And Mm -hmm. um, I kind of threw that out there as a question on on Twitter this week. And yeah, I think the, the interesting thing is that, um, you know, there, there. Actually, there was an article on inside Higher Ed I, I posted on Twitter about this idea of what we can do for faculty. So that's something I want to make sure we discuss with Kristen. But you know, just to give some some context to that, you know, there's been a series of articles that have talked about, that in research done to figure out. Uh, we've seen that fewer women are are actually um, you know di- uh, putting articles in for review, um, mm-hmm. and you know kind so there's this lopsided impact um that where women are taking on more of the brunt and i, I can vouch for that of you dealing with uh, the children and, and right. the kids and and all of their even different even families. parents
0: conceivably yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah
1: exactly yeah. exactly mm-hmm. so so yeah, yeah, yeah i yeah. think uh if Kristen is ready we can go ahead and pull her up and cool. get our discussion started
0: awesome let
1: me do that so, this will take a second or two and Kristen once you're up it'll take a Few seconds for your uh,
0: yeah, video. Uh, she was having some audio issues. Hopefully, those are squared away uh, as well. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, it's uh, it's also for me. It's somewhat inspirational to see how people are connecting. Like I know you're doing a lot of work on social media, um, in particular, uh, Terry, to kind of like connect to other people and to curate information. I would recommend folks, uh, you know, follow Terry on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook wherever you can find her. Um, because like everywhere, yeah, you're <laughs> prolific uh, on, on social media, but um, but I do think people need to feel less alone, and, and then also, uh, it's nice when a post triggers a conversation. Uh, you know, finding those fora for, um, just feeling less alone. You know, because I th- I think lots of times, uh, you know, a faculty position can be somewhat isolating if uh, you're really just you know you feel beholden to your students but how connected are you to a broader community uh, really varies depending on the instructor. And um, it's particularly challenging, uh, you know, for adjuncts and for others who are also questioning, you know, their own professional viability in these days, you know, like there's there's a whole range of challenges that, that folks are up against. Uh, and uh, yeah, speaking of challenges, uh, let's uh i think
1: see if we can get Kristen in looks here.
0: like she's connecting so uh
1: okay
0: yeah oh, so okay. cool but uh but yeah um what else
1: connectivity issues cool let's see if we can get that sorted out here
0: yeah yeah but in um, the meantime
1: in the meantime yes so um we have uh so some of the other issues that um have been brought up in terms of faculty self care actually I was, it was is interesting i was um having a discussion with some folks about uh you know basically people are getting tired tired of you know telling saying you know you need to do some self care um because um you know they they, they just don't have time for self care yeah, and right. you know how do you manage that situation when you have you know, all these demands on your time, but people are telling you, oh, take some time away. So I think we need to, mo- you know, moderate that, uh, a little bit, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, in any case, you know, that it's obviously self-care is important. You know, you have to do the best you can to take care of yourself. Right. But, um, it's, uh, also, you know, important to remember that sometimes that's just not possible or feasible for people to, you know, take time off and, um, yeah. So Christian's going to log out and try to come back. So we'll cool. See if we can get this going. This is why we mm-hmm. try to um, get all this sorted out early, but sometimes it doesn't work out. So yeah. in any case, um, yeah. So in the meantime, I wanted to make sure, um, I think there was one more article um, we actually didn't get to, which was um, the issue about uh, colleges and politics. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a study that done that um you know basically said that a lot of colleges are in their reopening plans weren't really following the you know, health guidelines they were Kind of following more what the government was saying and their governors and there's of course a lot of governors who've been saying that they should open and Mm -hmm. um whereas state health officials have been saying you shouldn't so there's been a lot of conflicting information out there and Mm -hmm. um so that's going to be a a really interesting thing to to follow in the future um but you know to me it connected to the issue with faculty because um one of the things i'm seeing is a lot of faculty being concerned that they haven't had as much of a say Mm -hmm. in um you know what's going on on campus you know so one of the things we're going to be talking about next week and i'm very excited to say we have brown alexander coming on as a guest next week Mm -hmm. um is this issue of you know what should be done you know how should these task forces be run you know to what extent should you know i mean faculty obviously should have a say in what's going on with you know, these task forces and how they're managing COVID. But the other side of that is, you know, sometimes decisions need to be made quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then, um, you know, there's all this, we have to honor this whole idea of shared governance. And, you know, sometimes I think shared governance um, actually um, gets overlooked in trying to uh, and I, I know this as a provost, you know, sometimes it's hard to kind of follow these guidelines of self-governance or shared governance rather when you're worried about trying to get something um, done rather rather quickly. Um, right,
0: right. And, and even, then, even, even just taking the time to make sure faculty feel heard, you know, like mm-hmm. just like which, uh, you know, getting back to the previous point, administrators are struggling, everybody's struggling these days. So like it's sometimes you you just want to roll your eyes and move fast, but I think at least giving... People places to oh it looks like Kristen is There's in that. better. Right, let's try this. Fingers crossed. Let's see how that yeah. let's see, see how that goes. But um, but yeah, show governance would be an interesting topic for us to to look into, uh, you know, do a deeper dive on that uh, downstream too, just to try to understand. Hey, speaking yeah. of Finally.
2: good news, yeah. <laughs> I, awesome. switched, I had to switch browsers. I think that was the problem. I was on Safari. Oh, yeah. Ah. I just didn't, didn't, didn't like man. that, yeah. Chrome
1: nah. is always so, best.
2: <laughs> sorry <Yeah>. about that. <laughs> no problem, we're happy to
0: see you, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so sh- shall we do, uh, you wanna do a more formal introduction,
2: uh, Terry? Please.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I was gonna say I'll let Kristen introduce herself. Sure. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Thank you for
2: having me. <laughs> so I'm I, I'm here kind of in two hats, maybe three. Um, you know, I I actually met um, Terry through our. Entre- respective entrepreneurial ventures. Um, So I'm the uh, founder of a of a platform called Prof2Prof and Mm -hmm. it's a a free platform for higher ed professionals. Mm -hmm. And the point of it was to create a space where we could showcase and share the full range of contributions we make to higher ed, to our disciplines, to Mm -hmm. society at large and not just peer-reviewed publications and, and things that are typically um, shared online.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, but I'm also here because I think, because um, I'm serving as a director of um, a school of social work um, and I've done this role before for my school of social work, which is at the University of um, Wisconsin-Madison, mm-hmm. maybe about eight, nine years ago. Um, and then I agreed to do it this year as interim director back in January. And so before 2020, all just blew up. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's been a really interesting and challenging um, and in some ways rewarding year so far. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things, Terry, you wanted to um, have me talk about is some of this trauma-informed administration. And it's not necessarily something I have particular expertise, but I just have some random thoughts about, you know, things that have gone well this year so far, um, things that I see that are needed that we might you know, that we haven't been able to do. Um, And I'm happy to take questions and just further the discussion with all of us.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's really why I wanted to bring you in, because you're not it's not just a crop to crop, but also you're on the ground. That's what Mike and I were talking about that before we started that, you know. Having somebody who is actually experiencing it. Um, Mm -hmm. And we want to do more of that as we go forward. We're talking about the fact that, you know, one of our both of us are very passionate about supporting faculty. And, you know, that's why I created my company Mm -hmm. and why you created yours. And, um, you know, so we want to find. Out what's, you know, what's going on? You know, I'm, I, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeing what's happening on Facebook and what my friends are saying, but I really want to hear from you, uh, Kristen, what's, what are you seeing? And, and if you could tell us a little bit more about sure. um, some, you know, what you already said, the, you know, some tips and ideas about how we could be dealing with this better.
2: Yeah. And I, I appreciate the articles. I, uh, there's, there's been several you've sent and in the Inside Higher Ed one, I'll mention some things about that. And the Medium one was really powerful. Um, And the medium one in particular resonated with me because um, we've had a very bumpy um, semester at UW-Madison. You know, we we opened um, in person. It was a hybrid. We had to have 50% of our classes um, in person. Each unit did. And this was against the overwhelming um, preference uh, of the faculty and staff at UW-Madison. and yeah. Oops. Oops.
0: I think we might we you might have hit you might have hit mute let's unmute wait uh you might need to un to click your uh, you might have hit mute on your end Kristen uh, yeah can you hear us no oh. you
1: need to hit unmute. Um, I can see on your screen. So if you hover over your picture, and there should be a set of there. I, no, you're still muted. There's a set of uh, if you hover your cursor over your picture, there should be a set of options, and one of them is toggle mic.
0: Or you might have even hit it on your local mic. Uh,
1: uh, it says um, from that it's muted. Um, so we can I can see it. So.
0: I don't think I tried unmuting for you, and I I don't think I can. I think it might, did you hit, maybe you hit your, um, on your headset, is there a mute button that you might have hit, just to make sure it's not on your end?
1: Um, Let's try sending her out and maybe, well, before we do that, just uh, see if we can get the mute off.
0: Yeah, it's like it's not letting me do it
1: yeah okay let's try having you send her, um
0: yeah can you log it. out and log back in and i'll promote you again we'll try that
1: yeah <laughs> sorry about that folks well, just huh? sometimes the, the technology is just a little... i don't know if she
0: can hear us either i think i think it might be our headset's disconnected
1: yeah we can't hear you yeah connect, hopefully come back with audio. <laughs> it's been that it's, kind of a week, hasn't it? It was Same just and... getting good.
0: It was, just, we know. were getting to, it so, it was, I felt like we had a breakthrough
1: right there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, of
2: course.
1: Okay, here she is. Let's see, is it? Can you hear me? Yes, we oh, can hear you for again. goodness sake, okay, you so think in 2020 we?
2: we have this all figured out, I don't know why that <laughs> happened, so um, anyway, I was just, was someone else about to say something? No, 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 no. we were, we
0: were, we were saying you just were rolling, okay. so keep, please continue, okay. yeah.
2: Okay, so at the Medium article really resonated with me, you know, we've, we've, we started our semester hybrid, and then our um, rates went way up. Um, And we made national news for that. And so our chancellor put us on pause and we all moved to remote. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that was supposed to go on for two weeks. And then we were told to go back. And our School of Social Work decided um, not to do that. We wanted to just stay remote. It was just too much up and down, you know, for the instructors and the staff and the students. And the other thing I just kept hearing, and I kept trying to communicate further up the chain at the university is that our staff and our instructors and and faculty are just, um, are really at a breaking point. And I'm really worried about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, you know, we kept getting all these messages, you know, from higher up leadership about how proud they were of us, and we're all working so hard. And I think, I think it was the medium piece that said, just stop doing that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> which I re- I was like, I need to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we decided to do, our administrative team, is is approach the faculty. We had a a, a retreat right at the beginning of the semester, and we just said to everybody, um, Everybody just needs to stop with anything new, you know. Committee work we're going to put on pause this year, with a few exceptions of things like we're under reaccreditation this year, so we kind of have oh, to that, do that. that, um, that yeah. <laughs> right, just, and then um, in, you know to to be really judicious and careful about things like assignments and reading, and as Terry was mentioned, you know, all all of that comes with more grading and more work for you and. Um, that's not to say you're you're shirking the content of the classes, because you can deliver that in, you know, many different forms and ways, Um, but to just be careful about what you're asking of yourself as well as what you're asking of students. Mm -hmm. Um, So we also, I talked, I supervise quite a bit of our staff, and um, I've been trying to really encourage them to tell me if it's too much. You know, I think there's just this um, and I feel this myself, like, if I'm not getting it all done, it's there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And that message is really not one we want people, you know, to have or to think. Um, and, and this situation is just, it's impossible to do all the work you need to do. And so we just need to get that on the table. And, and you need to let it me or someone on the admin team know if it's just too much um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and we can make accommodations or take some things, you know, off someone's plate. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also at the same time a number of our doctoral students who are always looking for more hours, you know, um, and so we've been able to use them more creatively, um, more reader grader positions, and I realize some of this costs money, um, you know, but Shifting some of our funds around so that we can both help them with their economic needs as well as um, support faculty and instructors in the things mm-hmm. they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, our university did approve um, tenure clock extensions for uh, assistant professors. Mm-hmm. I'm I, you know, we encourage all our assistant professors to take them just as an insurance policy, but I am quite worried about them for some of the reasons um, Terry was mentioning because I think that there's a variation among those who have taken these extensions um, related to how productive they can be right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and if you wait a year, that's a year at a lower salary than you would have you know, at, if you went up at your normal time. And, and I think actually what needs to change is instructions to external reviewers about how to evaluate someone in light of the pandemic being in the middle of your evaluation period. Mm-hmm. And not that we need to wait for you to catch up and be more productive again. Yeah. Um, so, that's why i
1: agree because so that was issue was raised on, on one of the forums i was in that um instead of giving you know more time on the tenure clock let's just keep the same tenure clock but adjust for the fact that somebody had a year where they weren't as right productive. um right. and the other problem with that i've seen this happen with maternity and paternity. Mm-hmm. Like paternity Mm -hmm. leave, where, you know, women take maternity leave because they need the time off and men take paternity leave and use it to be more productive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so there's some gender imbalances, not only in, you know, just the fact of research productivity during these times, but also how the time, if they get that extra year on the tenure clock, how is that utilized, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Adding on, you know, and, and upping the stakes for how much work you can get done.
2: Absolutely. And I've heard you talk before, Terry, too, about just how that then reverberates through the pipeline on up, you know who's who becomes you know moved into leadership positions more quickly and what opportunities get offered more early to some folks over others. Yeah. Um, so I think we have to be really careful about about policies like that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have them, but I'm saying that we have to look, pay attention to the other part of that equation
1: absolutely. and And I yeah. think it's important for um you know the administration to acknowledge what's happening and but also provide new opportunities for faculty who may have mm-hmm. that administrative interest you know we I as you mean, I have to put a plug in for your writer higher ed and you know, tell and what we mm-hmm. do because you know we do provide these courses that are relatively you know low Stress, you know, so you don't have to. uh, There's no pressure to take them in a particular amount of time, but but do provide some, you know, support for faculty who who do think they want to get on that pathway. Um, and also mentoring um, mm-hmm. you know that's one of the big things we offer which I think a lot of faculty could use right now is is some mentoring especially in this process of, of you know getting those promotions uh, and I think we tend to focus on that first promotion to from assistant to associate we don't focus enough mm-hmm. I, I, I could write a whole book <laughs> on the fact that we don't focus enough on that transition from associate to full mm-hmm. um and there's gender imbalances there women, you know, typically take a few more years to get to full than men do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what are some of the factors that, that impact that? And, you know, I think, you know, mentor, mentoring is critical to it, but also just the fact that um, women are discouraged. Um, mm-hmm. I, I saw this all the time, you know, uh, some, in so many different ways, but um, anyway, if you, I don't know if you have any thoughts around that.
2: Oh, it definitely, I mean, I, I just think, um, you know, we, it's it's almost like you're on your own for those you know post tenure promotions. Yes, exactly. um, there really aren't. I mean, whereas we give assistant professors maybe um, you know relax their committee obligations and we try to protect their time. You know that that's all gone. You know after mm-hmm. tenure. And so I didn't. You know at least in my experience and at my university, it was you're more of an island in that regard. Um, yeah, and you know service work after you get tenure too. Um, Zoom's up. Zooms up, and I think there's differences. Although I don't have data on this, so I can't I can't point to something in particular. But there may be um, gender imbalances in how much service work, you know, faculty take on, and that can be just in terms of mentoring students outside of what's normally expected. And certainly, faculty of color take on more of that burden, um, and it's uncompensated typically. Um, mm-hmm. And so how does that then factor into all the, you know, pipeline issues and equity yeah. issues?
1: Well, particularly mm-hmm. at a time like this, you know, if you think about the the fact that there's, you, you mentioned graduate students, that's a whole nother area that, mm-hmm. you know, we need to be focusing on because they're not just graduate students, they're also instructors and TAs and graders and all of this stuff. So they're experiencing a lot of the stress too. But then if you think about the student demographics that are being most impacted by losing their campus jobs by, mm-hmm. you know, families struggling financially, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, faculty of color have a tendency to be pulled into helping those students providing extra support. know, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I have friends who are working on, you know, develop for campuses that don't already have food pantries, you know, developing those kinds of things and, yeah. and you know, raising money to help students. Um, yeah, programs. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on right now that are so far above and beyond what we typically have to do.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: And I'd love to get in maybe from from you, Kristen, uh also just understanding the two hats you wear. One on the, you know, the the social work side. Um how are you what what is being what is working for students nowadays and for, for faculty in terms of giving them the support through the pandemic and then extending that into prof to prof. Like where where are there rays of hope? Where are there places where you're seeing um, uh, good stories? Uh, perhaps mm-hmm. one thing we have talked about, I think Terry and I both uh, share a, a, a real desire to not only be gloom and doom, but try to see where where there are. You know, I, I always talk about. Uh, you know, Fred Rogers said, you know, whenever there's a time of trouble, look for the helpers. There are people mm-hmm. who are helping. Uh, I have a you know I have a young son, so Fred Rogers means a lot to me these days. But uh, <laughs> any perspective from you, either uh, in the school of social work or what you're seeing on prof 2 prof, around where um, you know help is being provided in a way that is productive and effective, and also maybe any cautionary tales as well. But hopefully, a little bit of hope,
2: you know. Right, right, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I do think it's been helpful. Um, you know, just talking about in my school, my unit. To, to provide that space where sort of like affinity groups can get together, um, you know, to get the kinds of support they need for people who understand what they're going through. So for instance, our team of advisors has an affinity group that gets together regularly to just, you know, commiserate and mm-hmm. give each other support. Um, they've They've had, to take a lot of the brunt of all the changes that are that are happening. Um, so giving that space and really relaxing their time and lessening their committee work, you know, is is has all been really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and letting people know being very clear their annual evaluations are not going to be affected by this year. There's a lot of, you know, that might seem obvious, like, of course I'm not going to hold this against you, but actually they need to hear it, both the faculty and the staff, um, you know, that this is not a year to, to shine, you know, and, and be um, ultra amazing. Um, you just need to survive and you just need to, you um, um, you know, normalize that just getting by is is more than enough this year. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do see a ray of hope that I've. You know, one of my motivations behind creating Prof to Prof is exactly this problem of like the work, the unpaid labor, the un. Oops, we
1: lost you lost me again, Kristen.
0: <laughs> I don't know what is happening over
1: there. I don't know. Um Kristen, you are you're, you're muted again. I <laughs> just realized it. Um
0: uh maybe I we can get her it. back the same way we did before. I don't I don't know what's happening. It's probably
1: yeah. Yeah, she's gonna try to reconnect. Cool. This is interesting. Um we haven't had this issue before, but mm. uh here she is again.
2: Okay, can you hear me or no? Yes, we can hear you mm-hmm. now. But I can't hear you, it's weird. <laughs> Huh. I Love can't so. hear you. Okay. <laughs>
1: um,
2: um, okay. Yeah. I'll just go ahead go ahead. And then if you want to say something, just let me know. Uh, yeah. Um so the one of the motivations for creating Prof2Prof was to was to try to formalize and get people to recognize all this other work. Mm-hmm. Um and make it normal to count it, you know, towards what matters and what gets you ahead. Um and, you know, I think that this moment that higher ed is in right now is a chance to really drive home that point, um, because it does take our expertise to do service work. You don't just do any service work. You do service work that's informed by your own expertise and training. Um, and so that should count. It's it's a form of scholarship, in my opinion, because um, you need that you need that experience. Um, did you want to say something, Terry? You look like you. Oh,
1: I was just gonna. I'm typing to you. Can you hear me at all? Probably not. Um, no.
2: Okay. I, was just gonna I can't it. tell what you're saying, so I don't know if you're talking or if you're okay. She'll, she'll <laughs> it. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um important to connect scholarship to service. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you know there are so many things we're creating right now during this mass movement to online and. In an administrative um, role where we shouldn't all be recreating the wheel. And so, you know, to encourage people, you know, to share um, that material, and just a small example is we we have students in service learning and field placements. um, And some of those placements had to be remote, you know, because students weren't able for for various reasons to do an in person field placement. So we created best practices around how do you create those placements, and you know that instead of every other school of social work having to figure that out on their own, you can put this something like that on the platform, and people can can have something to work from. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just uh, you know the fact that we do so many things. Recreating the wheel in an island in a vacuum, um, trying to just break that down and not only um, learn from each other, but but acknowledge and celebrate and give credit for that 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 work as well.
1: Okay, we'll jump in. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's really incredibly helpful, Kristen, because um, uh, and Mike just posted the link, um, but I, I think that. Um, you know, you raised some really important points. I know you can't hear me. but um, <laughs> Kristen's points are really important, because um, we, we need to be um, more collaborative. Um, and we, we really need to think about, uh, about new ways to be collaborative. Um, and I think that, you know, prof to prof, um, is, is one step to being becoming more collaborative, but also, you know, to me, I, I see it ties into you know cross campus collaborations. You know, I, I, that was always one of my dreams as a provost is to bring faculty together from different campuses um, to be able to uh, work together. Um, so, you know, different. Yeah, you know, an example would be different schools of social work. Um, uh, so, in any case. Um, I'm gonna just let Tristan
0: and now. I, I just asked a question in chat. Can Hopefully, you share please... any
2: thoughts on how to avoid burnout? You can still hear me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a. I was giving a guest lecture, a virtual guest lecture last Saturday for a doctoral student who's teaching a course, and that was actually a question from one of the students. You know, um, how do I manage? Um, the self-care piece and prevent the burnout. Well, I can tell you, I'll just admit I'm very burnt out, you know, in and, and every, like it's, it's not a question of preventing and it, it's just a, a question of how to minimize it, at least in the context I'm in right now and, um, and some of it is an emotional burnout that is an intersection of both the pandemic and just the, all the injustices happening in the world. And social work particularly mm-hmm. has to be on top of messaging around those um, those injustices. And if we're even a half a day late doing so, you know, students are, you know, hurt and, and sometimes even traumatized and feel unseen. So there's an added layer. Um, you know i think in social work it should be everywhere but it's it has to be there in social mm-hmm. work um and and i do i you know i told the student um i've been trying to just excuse you know the you know the 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 work i have that you know unpublished publications that have been sitting you know on my desk i'm just admitting they're not going to get done this year you know i'm just going to start there um, and then if something progress happens to happen, great, but I'm just not I'm just starting out saying these are the things I'm not going to be able to do this year. I'm saying no to a lot of things, reviewing peer-reviewed publications, taking on, you know, um, you know, collaborations from other colleagues elsewhere. And I'm just telling people I can't do it. I, I just don't have the bandwidth this year and people have been completely understanding about that. And then I have to have a built-in support, Um, You know, my husband is actually very good about jerking me away from the computer and making me go on walks. And luckily we have a dog that makes me do that as well. In fact, I can't even say that word and he wants to go. But, um, you know, so I think that's a, um, it's a struggle. I don't have the answer, Um, but we, we tell people that all the time in social work, given the nature of the work social workers do. Um, But because we are social workers, it's hard for us to just turn off the thinking about and the caring about. And I find that transfers into being in a leadership position in higher ed, too. I worry about the students a lot. I worry about the staff a lot. And I have to be okay with just um, walking away and Mm -hmm. and allowing building time in to do that every day.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's great. All (laughs) right. Well, we're actually close to the finish. Okay,
2: and, all right. I'm um, sorry about all the trouble with the technology. Oh. We'll try to figure that out if you ever have me back again. But thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm yeah totally thank you. Yeah.
1: Um, so anyway, um, thanks again, Kristen. It, it was just uh, really great to hear from you, and I I, it, I can so identify it with what she's been saying. You know, I I'm uh, feeling some of the burnout myself, and um, you know, it's been um, you know, kind of an ongoing thing where uh you know how do you, you balancing all of these different things, right? and um you know, I I wish that there were an easier, you know, sometimes you just have to say it's it's things are bad right you know because yeah. <laughs> there's just no way around it. there's no easy yeah. you know, I, I think you know one of the things that I've been feeling the last couple of weeks especially is where is it? The, there's no easy answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I, I do think
0: as leaders, though, like showing that it's okay to feel shook and vulnerable, and and modeling that, and and not hiding that, not putting a false front out there. Uh, which also, in that Medium article, uh, which I really would recommend to folks, the idea of like giving time and space for emotional work, um, which is where like I almost like that triage idea that Kristen was talking about, like figuring out where you're providing the most value when you are giving of your sort of emotional reserves and being smart about how much of that you have uh, to give to your professional life versus your personal life versus your family um you know we're all in this thing together is the one good aspect to it you know like where you no matter where you sit within the the higher ed ecosystem, everybody's facing challenges everyone's struggling with this stuff so I think, you know it reminds me of um I think it was another article I saw from you around um you know senior members of the administration uh, teaching
1: mm-hmm. yeah this
0: exactly. semester picking up online classes mm-hmm. you know like I think just modeling you know what I would view as like genuine leadership you know mm-hmm. um I think is is something uh something to try to latch hold of, you know, like we, we don't want to add on on a down note, Terry. We always had to leave them laughing. You know, that's, that's the, that's the (laughs) the thing. But uh, but Kristen, despite the, and she was a, she was a fantastic guest because despite the, the audio problems, uh, I certainly got a lot of value out of her time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that, is something that we are happy to offer every week at this time. <laughs> so I hope yes. everybody who's joining us today will join us again next week. But um you know, I guess to end on a more positive note, you know Here in California, we're seeing hospitalizations and infection numbers going down. I know there are lots of states that are still on the upswing, but I do think we're seeing models for how to do this. Um, You know, and I think that's something we're going to really talk about next week. So Mm -hmm. we're really going to dig into this. You know, how do we do this? Um, And, you know, Brian and I will, Brian Alexandras, for those who just joined recently, we're going to talk to him next week about this idea of how do we. Um, use tools and you know how do we manage this in a way that is going to keep everybody healthy and you know I think frankly going forward we're going to have to do this for all kinds of infectious disease I mean Mm -hmm. I I, I know I have a colleague who had to deal with a meningitis outbreak on a campus and had Mm -hmm. trouble you know figuring out how to track students you know I was at UT Austin when H1N1 Flu was around, so I, I think that this is not the end, right? This is just the beginning of campuses really grappling with infectious disease and and how to manage it and how to you know set up classrooms in a way that that allows students to be there, that to to protect faculty and staff who are older to. Um, deal with the the situation where you have students living off campus, and how do you, you control that? And so, yeah, as Terrence says, measles has been an ongoing issue for campuses. Even yeah. years ago, when I started, you know, this was back in the 90s, when I started graduate school, I had to get a you know, MMR in, right. you know, vaccination because, and every student was required to.
2: Um,
1: mm-hmm. So this is not, the, this is just the beginning. Um, yeah. I think, um, you know, I don't even want to say, <laughs> I hate to say it, but new normal. Oh, um,
0: well, the other thing I have been hearing, and I think Brian will be a really interesting guest to talk about this, is the the post pandemic, yes. university higher ed experience. Like, what what will it be? Because I think, you know, by taking a lot of these things that we sort of take for granted away from us, I think a lot of folks are, you know, I don't think it's it, it's clearly not going to stay in this new normal. There are some things that people really want to go back to, but it's it's unclear exactly how we're going to navigate this and how different uh, organizations are going to navigate it. So that's why I think it'll be really interesting to get your perspective, get his perspective around uh, both how we power through the the right now, but also let's assume 2021, 2022, COVID-19 is less of a risk factor. Uh, what's college life going to be like? How do we think about online learning? How do we think about Um, even like the emotional work, uh, social, emotional aspects, uh, like why people go to small private liberal arts colleges. I think, you know, it has been, um, you know, a time for all of us to reflect. And, you know, I'm really excited to see what you and uh, you and Brian uh, and, and our guests, like our audience, uh, what everybody has to share next week. Any final thoughts, Terry?
1: Just hope everybody has a great week and um, I'm really looking forward to next week so we can wrap it up there
0: awesome (laughs) and uh you saw Prof to Prof. thanks again for Kristen for her time and thanks everybody for showing up yep bye-bye